Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Intuitive Transformations with your host, Sylvia Henderson. And discover tools, wisdom, and inspiration that will empower you to transform your life. Sylvia is an intuitive life coach and energy healer with a growing practice that is focused on empowering others to be more of who they want to be. For the next hour, join Sylvia and explore and unravel anything in the way of you creating the life that you would love to live on the OM Times Radio Network. Times Radio FM, the voice of consciousness. I'm Sylvia Henderson, your host, and I am an intuitive and an energy healer. If you would like to learn more about me and the work that I do, please visit my website at intuitivetransformations.net. Before we begin today's show, I'd like to thank all all of my listeners who had the opportunity to participate in last week's interactive group healing called Awaken Your Inner Alchemist that Belinda Womack and myself hosted just this last Thursday. All who attended had a really beautiful time connecting vibrationally with one another, and it really was quite magical experiencing the flow of healing energy that was present and created in this group um, this group session and the teaching and the healing focused primarily on imparting a strong vibrational field of safety for everyone who was involved and impressed upon me and everyone else the importance of holding the vibration of safety as we all continue the journey to awaken to the magic within us. You know, as you know, we live in a very interesting time here on planet Earth and connecting with the vibrational energy of safety, even when everything in the world is chaotic and even when our own personal lives feel so uncertain is really vitally important. Because when we focus on our fears, we create from a fearful point of view, and then our creations tend to mirror back our fears more so than when we, uh, than what we actually desire. So breaking free from our fears, our worries, our anxieties, and old karmic energy of cause and effect is an important foundational step that will lead you to becoming a true alchemist in your life so that you can change the heaviness, the lead of your life, like an alchemist transforms lead into gold, into something that is vibrant, buoyant, joyful, and thriving and filled with a sense of safety and trust. So if you missed out on last week's Awaken Your Inner Alchemist, I hope that you will join us next Sunday, June 5th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 
1 p.m. Pacific. We're going to do it again. The cost is only $39 plus an additional processing fee that's very minimal. Awaken Your Inner Alchemist. It's a 75-minute long healing, group healing session that's interactive. Um, Belinda and I will provide ample time for a live Q&A so that you can receive personal guidance and insights that will help you with what ever is going on in your life today. And I just want to remind everyone, there are three ways that you can participate and awaken your inner alchemist. You can A, watch Belinda and myself live online, or B, uh, you can call in by phone to listen live, or C, you can listen to the audio replay at your leisure. And just remember that regardless of the option that you choose, all three options are equally beneficial and equally effective. The easiest way for you to learn more about Awaken Your Inner Alchemist and to join us live or even via replay is to visit my website, intuitivetransformations.net, and just click on the Awaken Your Inner Alchemist button on my homepage, and that will provide you with great deal more information and allow you to register for this live interactive group healing event. I hope that we get to see you there so that you can participate in this magical transformational experience. And again, that's going to be next Sunday, June 5th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. So today we are going to talk about when loss turns into transformation. And I have a truly beautiful soul to share this conversation with you all. Her name is Mirabai Starr, and she has a great deal of personal experience when it comes to transforming grief and loss into something truly expansive and beautiful, which has allowed her to help, um, help others in her wonderful workshops to do the same. So let me tell you a little bit more about Mirabai Starr. Mirabai Starr is the author of the long-anticipated memoir, uh, Caravan of No Despair, a memoir of loss and transformation. In her critically acclaimed new translation of the mystics and reflections on the unifying teachings at the heart of all spiritual paths, Mirabai uses fresh lyrical language to help make timeless wisdom accessible to a contemporary circle of seekers. Mirabai is the author of over 12 books and is best known for her highly acclaimed translations of Dark Night of the Soul and The Interior Castle, as well as God of Love. She is an adjunct professor of philosophy and world religions at the University of New Mexico, Taos. Her emphasis has always been on making connections between the uh, perennial teachings found at the heart of all of the world's spiritual paths in an effort to promote peace and justice. Mirabai's youngest daughter, Jenny, was killed in a car accident in 2001 at the age of 14. On the very same day as her daughter's death, Mirabai's first book, a translation of Dark Night of the Soul, was released. She considers this experience and the connection between profound loss and longing for God the ground of her own spiritual life. Mirabai speaks and teaches nationally and internationally on the teachings of the mystics and contemplative practice and the transformative power of grief and loss. Mirabai speaks and 
Oh, I've already said that. Sorry. I was going to repeat myself, Mirabai. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sylvia. Thank you so much for that um, introduction, loving introduction. Well, I am so very honored to have you join us here today and very appreciative how all the dots kind of connected at the last minute. I feel like this is more of a divine appointment than anything else. Oh, thank you. I feel that way too. So I received your brand new book, Caravan of No Despair, on Friday evening, and I finished it Saturday evening. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I want you to know it's not because I had you scheduled to be on the show with me today, but it really was because I could not put it down. Um, you provided such a candid, revealing look into your personal experiences that, quite frankly, they took me on an emotional roller coaster that at times actually dropped open my jaw. Because you expose some of the rawest moments of your life that I've seen anyone ever reveal with others so publicly. So what was it like for you to write this book? Because it's quite um, different than what you've done in the past. Boy, it sure is. It took me 12 books to get the courage to tell my own story. And in many ways, I... I feel that I've been hiding behind the mystics that I've been translating. I mean, happily translating. I love the translation work I've been doing and the commentaries and reflections of, about the interconnected wisdom of all traditions. All of that work has been really good, but it's been a safe place to um, conceal myself. And so it was a very naked thing to write a memoir. I mean, to write a memoir at all is is quite frightening, but to write about such a painful experience as the death of a child and also all the shenanigans of my uh, my youth on the spiritual path, you know, all of the crazy stuff that happened in um, in the spiritual scene. You know, both of those things were, were pretty risky to write about. But once I just gave myself permission to do it, I just went for it. <laughs> and mo you're not the only person who told me that they couldn't put it down. If you look at my Amazon reviews, I think every single one of them say that. It's, there's something about this book that... Um, seems to, to draw people in and, and take them for a ride. Well, there's absolutely zero sugarcoating here. <laughs> it's, it's such a, a profound, um, transparent look at your life. I really felt like you were you were just so authentic in it and so real in it. And it was some of the things that happened, you j I would scratch my head and i go, what? <laughs> really? And then that? Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, my gosh. So did you find this to be a cathartic process for you or part of your uh, just another step in the healing journey? Yeah, it was definitely cathartic. You know, I'm teaching a series of workshops now throughout this year called Writing Your Story of Loss and Transformation. And the first thing I tell my students is, don't expect that I'm going to give you some kind of magic potion that's going to make this not hurt. I mean, when when we sit down to tell the truth about our lives and the and the difficult things that have happened to us, we do in fact re-experience the trauma in some way. Mm 
and um, it's in the cells of our bodies. And I definitely did go through some some very intense processing as I wrote Caravan of No Despair. But I lined up my support, you know, as I was going, and I because I I knew I intuited that this might be challenging, and it was, and. So I felt like there was a lot of care around me and I could go to the people in my life and say, man, I am writing about when the police came to the door to tell me my daughter was dead and I don't know how I'm going to get through this scene, you know, and people would make me tea and rub my feet and (laughs) I'd get through it and move on to the next thing. And there was a lot of joy, as you saw, Sylvia, and a lot of um, humor, too, in my memoir. So it wasn't all painful. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a collection of the whole range of emotions. So as we go into a break, everyone, please stay tuned. When we return, we'll talk more about Caravan of No Despair with the wonderful author, Mirabai Starr. We'll be back in a moment. A conscious lifestyle for a mindful life. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. The name is Bond. James Bond. No, the name is Joe. The Joe Show. And we are returning back for our ninth season here on Om Times Radio. So tune in every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, on OwnTimes.com slash mobile. You can take us wherever you go. Yeah! My name is Victor Furman. Some call me The Voice. I've always been fascinated with human nature, spirituality, science, and the crossroads at which they meet. Join me Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Ohm Times Radio, and we'll explore these topics and so much more on Destination Unlimited. Do you want to be a better communicator? Do you want to better connect with the important people in your life? Do you want to enrich your relationships? If so, join me, Matthew Cooper, on the Positive Control System Show every Wednesday evening at 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Ohm Times Radio. I'll meet you there. The number one reason girls drop out of school in sub-Saharan Africa is lack of access to feminine hygiene products. The Pads for School Girls Project, an outreach of Humanity Healing International, is changing this paradigm by setting up sewing programs at schools. Teach Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Teaching girls a vocational skill while producing the reusable pads that help keep them attending classes. The girls pay it forward by making and giving pad kits to other girls in need. To learn more, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. The best of holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Intuitive Transformations on OM Times Radio with Sylvia Henderson. And I have with me today a wonderful guest. Her name is Mirabai Starr. And she has just released her memoir, which is called Caravan of No Despair, a memoir of loss and transformation. And Mirabai, before we went to the break, because I do want to kind of start at the beginning, but you just kind of provided a juicy nugget that I don't want to leave untouched. And that was in your workshops that uh, where you teach um, how to transform grief and loss. You you do share with everyone that you you really can't escape not feeling that pain as you revisit it because it is stored within your cells. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Because especially when I'm working with people who want to write their story, their own story of loss and transformation, you know, I, I feel compelled to not sugarcoat it, as you said, you know, that, that it's true that when we sit down to tell our story, whether it's, it's out loud or on paper or on the computer we are um, going to access that pain. Uh, it, you know, I love, Sylvia, how you use the imagery of alchemy. I use that a lot in this work as well because what we're doing when we tell our story, like I did in my memoir, and, and as my students are, are trying to do in, in showing up for my workshops, is that we're taking the lead of our experience, which is the pain and the loss and those challenging life circumstances that, that all of us encounter to some degree. And we're, we're like throwing that pain into the fire. And the fire burns and transformation is intense. But through the process of truth telling, which is really what we're doing when we write our own story, we are it, alchemy happens transmutation of the lead unfolds and and it becomes gold and that gold takes many forms but one of the the ways that it takes form is that when we've told our truth that truth becomes this shining thing that then gives light back to ourselves and really radiates out into the world so it's worth it so so what if it hurts you know it's like we've already been through so much by the time we get to the point of of telling our story that the pain of of revisiting um some of those experiences is nothing compared to what the experiences were really themselves and as long as we're kind of on onto it we're aware that 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 it may in fact be be intense to do that kind of storytelling, um, then we're able to show up for it. And we know that we're not going crazy. We're just 
or just alchemy is happening. <laughs> yeah. How beautiful because it really does allow you to step out of the societal conditioning of do not feel your feelings. Exactly. It, pretend it didn't exist. Stop Stop having an emotional um, reaction to something that's a trauma or a tragedy. We don't like seeing people cry. It makes us uncomfortable, it seems, in our society. And that really is part of the healing process. It's so true, Sylvia, that pe- especially death, there's such a stigma as if death were somehow a failure, you know, rather than uh, not only a natural process, but but a, a kind of a portal into the great mystery. It's a deeply sacred experience, and, and it's, a, it's a sign to me of our culture's superficiality that we're not willing to kind of sit with death and be with death, death and dying, grief and grieving. That's why that death cafe movement, I think, is so important. People all over the country are getting together in small groups and cafes and homes just to talk about death and bring it out of the closet. It's really, it's really crucial. I, and, I th- and feeling your feelings, as you so beautifully said, is not encouraged in our culture. No, not at all. And I totally agree with you. I mean, in other cultures around the world, you know, think of India, where it's a public display. Here, we shroud it, we hide it. And yet, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the show, you have this wonderful um, approach to your daughter's dying, the process that you went through and all the ceremony that you did. But let's start from the beginning. So, both of your parents were of Jewish heritage, but you did not have a traditional Jewish childhood by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, so for those who have not yet read your book, um, without giving too much away, can you just share an overview of what it was like growing up for you? Because it was a very unconventional childhood. Yes, which, of course, I didn't exactly notice. I mean, I had a clue, but um, yes, my parents were... were um, middle-class New York Jews who in the 1960s became very politicized in the in the climate of the Vietnam War. So they became active in the protest movement. My mother was a, um, a folk singer and they people started coming and living in our suburban home, <laughs> college students and, and people uh, who were interested in the countercultural movement that was happening. But that whole movement finally came to a kind of a head in my parents' life, and they coinciding actually with the death of, of a child. My older brother, Maddie, died when he was 10 of a brain tumor, and I was 7. My younger sister was 4, and my, and my younger brother was newborn. And that came together with the, with the political, social consciousness that was happening and my parents uprooted us from our our New York lifestyle and they hadn't been religious to begin with but at that point they really rejected organized religion feeling like especially the whole Judeo-Christian religious framework was responsible for a lot of suffering in this world both historically and currently you know the patriarchy the hierarchy the oppression of of organized institutionalized religions and so they took us on a kind of odyssey and we went all over lived in mexico for a very long time most of the year and then we ended up in taos new mexico in 1973 which at that time was really a a a kind of destination for people 
in the counterculture uh, who were looking especially for the experience of going back to the land. And my parents did that, you know, gave everything away, engaged in a radical voluntary simplicity. We grew our own food. We lived without water and electricity. We lived communally. Um, and it was that was the way I grew up. And, and part of that upbringing meant that I was exposed to a lot of different religions but uh, in, a, in a very free-form kind of way. And, the, and the, I would say that the main religious orientation was, or spiritual, really not religious, but spiritual orientation was toward the Eastern traditions of Buddhism and Hinduism. Well, it was really interesting because as a young person, you were even exposed to um, a spiritual icon, Ram Das, who I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, <laughs> the adventures that you had were really quite remarkable in of themselves. So um, it was really quite an adventure to read, read about your childhood. You, you met your first husband as a teenager, at the Lama Foundation, which is a spiritual community, uh, educational facility, and a retreat center that's located not too far from Taos, New Mexico. Can you talk a little bit about how you met and how that relationship evolved for you? Mm. That's funny. I was just at Lama Foundation today because they I'm on the board of directors and they had their opening visitors day, which I, I try to support. And it was just such a wonderful gathering. So both Lama Foundation and Ramdas are still very much part of my life now and well into my 50s. Um, so some things really take root and, and stay and grow. Um, but yes, my my first husband was 25 years older than I was, married with children my age when I met him. He was also my um, alternative high school teacher uh, when I was 14, 15. And we had a secret affair, and it was, uh, I guess for the times, the 70s, it wasn't that unusual, but it, it definitely was not okay. Um, and he knew it wasn't okay, so he insisted that it be secret. Eventually, I ended up uh, marrying him in my 20s, but it was, uh, he was a kind of a wannabe spiritual teacher, and I was so vulnerable at 14 and 15 that I just went for it. You know, I was vulnerable because I was a, a deeply spiritualized kid. I had this, this profound yearning for God, um, and also because I had just experienced another trauma, which was the death of my first love. My, my first boyfriend died when we were 14. And also my parents were just not exactly available at that point in my life. They became so, by the way, later, you know, in my late teens, when I'd already been on my own for a number of years. But at that time, they just were kind of swept up in their own lives and finding themselves and losing themselves. And they... I don't know. They they trusted that I had a good head on my shoulders. I knew what I was doing, and so they kind of let me let me go. And some things happened as a result of that. I think that lack of parenting that was partly cultural, countercultural, partly personal because of the distractions of their own lives and them grieving their own child's death. You know, my brother. I don't know. Whatever it was, I got myself into some uh, into some things that probably shouldn't have and yet there's the alchemy right exactly well it gave you great content as well and I have to tell you I did fall in love with your mother's character because I thought you know what a free spirit you know? for sure <laughs> in, in in many ways and um 
for those of you listening, you just have to get this book because it is really quite um, raw and, um, and as I said before, very vulnerable writing that Mirabai has done in this memoir, which is not just this amazingly frank, um, candid look at her life, but really it's a beautiful love story of how she managed to fall in love with herself and also um, a, a beautiful devotional to her daughter, Jenny, as well. So um, I know that we're coming up on a break in just a moment, but um, when we return, I do want you to talk about your uh, your daughter, Jenny, and um, how she became your daughter, uh, her own personal spiritual journey, which was also maybe not quite as unconventional as yours, but it was still not traditional. And um, in terms of her spiritual opportunities that she had and how she changed before she died, what happened shortly before she actually did die. And, and then maybe we can go into how you handled that experience as well. So when we return after the break, there will be more from Mira Bay. I'm sorry, Mirabai Star, as we talk about her brand new book, Caravan of No Despair, and how to turn loss into transformation. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. The cutting edge of Conscious Radio, Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Circle of Hearts Radio is a sanctuary on the airwaves. Join me, Grandmother Elia, in the circle on Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, as I share information to both enlighten and nourish your soul. Hi, this is Sylvia Henderson, Intuitive Life Coach and Energy Healer. Are you ready to elevate and rise way above your normal? Be sure to listen to my show, Intuitive Transformations, on Own Times Radio, Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. Get the inspiration you need to transform your life. Do you have time to read that inspiring book or that blog post you've been meaning to get to? In your busy world, how do you improve yourself and keep your life going? I'm Lisa Kay, and my Between Heaven and Earth... Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you wanna get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus radio show can transform your life just by listening be uplifted with inspiring topics 
positive stories, and ideas that really work. Between Heaven and Earth Radio is conscious living for your soul. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Are you trying to get from point A to point B and need a little advice? Connect with the counselors at Om Times Advisors. Whether you're looking for a life coach or a spiritual intuitive, the advisors participating at advisors.omtimes.com were carefully chosen based on their gifts, skills, and professionalism. Ohm Times Advisors, connecting you with the best advisors in the business. The future of Internet radio is here. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Welcome back, everyone. We're continuing this wonderful conversation with uh, Mirabai Starr. And Mirabai, before we went to the break, I kind of alluded to um, we were going to begin a conversation about your daughter, Jenny. Um, Would you just mind sharing a little bit about her, how she came into your life and her spiritual journey and how she changed before um, she died and how you changed? Yes, thank you for asking. Um, Jenny was a remarkable being, and, you know, it's easy to say that about people who are gone, but while she was alive, everyone agreed there was just, there were many special things about Jenny. Um, She came into my life when she was four years old. I adopted her at four. I decided, by the way, when I was 16, that I wasn't going to give birth to children in this life. Um, I, it was the seventies and I was concerned about, about what was happening in the environment and overpopulation. And I just felt like I didn't need to, to contribute to more people on the planet. And so I kept that promise and I adopted both of my daughters, uh, Daniela when she was 11 and Jenny when she was four, they'd both been, uh, abused and neglected and taken from their birth homes. So they came with quite a bit of baggage, but Jenny, by the time she was five had completely forgotten anything, you know, how, how you are at that age before her life with me. And so we, it, it felt very much that we had always been together and we were also very much alike and she grew up being exposed to a lot of the things that are important in my life and the and the spiritual lineages that are important to me primarily my relationship with my guru Neem Karoli Baba who's also Ramdas's guru who he wrote about in Be Here Now and, and all his other books and so that was just very much a part of our, our lives. And um, Jenny was a, was extremely intelligent. She was a high achiever. She was socially conscious. Um, and all of that was really beginning to blossom at the age of 14, which is when her life ended. But just a few days before her death, Jenny had a psychotic break. And it was the onset of, of bipolar disorder. Her birth mother was severely bipolar. In fact, that's how she lost Jenny. Um, but I hadn't anticipated it at all, let alone so young. You know, if, if anything, I thought maybe there there was a possibility in, in late teens, early 20s, which is when it usually comes on for people. But truthfully, I never gave it a thought. I just, we lived our lives and she was a very stable kid. Um but a few days before she died, she went into this altered state, and it it manifested as a spiritual experience for Jenny. Um, in fact, just today, someone wrote me a letter about who was there at the time. So 14 years later, I just got new information today about mm. what was going on for her. And, and she 
became when this this happened when she went into this state of of consciousness she became very quiet almost silent and very joyous and just radiated peace and equanimity and and a kind of awakeness and she was clearly communicating uh on another level in other realms with unseen entities um but it took so it took me a few days to recognize that this deep state of of radiance and peace and joy that Jenny was experiencing was was actually mental illness in addition to being a true genuine authentic spiritual experience mm-hmm. you know they're not mutually exclusive as so many spiritual geniuses have shown us but um i recognized that she was in trouble and because she wasn't coming back she wasn't I, you couldn't reach her where she was. And I was told by some people who were both on a spiritual, serious spiritual path and also psychotherapists that she was in danger and that I needed to get her to the hospital. And in my effort to do so, um, she actually managed to jump into my car when I had jumped out to grab her for, after she had jumped out three times. On one of those times, she slipped into my car and drove away and actually drove into the mountains nearby and, um, and crashed, going very fast, and died alone. Um, so that's, that's kind of the short version of the story. But she was, yeah, it's an interesting question, Sylvia, about, and I know many of your listeners can relate to this, the fine line between mental illness and authentic spiritual experience. It is such a fine line because when you have a very profound awakening, it's the awakening to the illusion is really an illusion. And it's almost like peering beyond the veil of the illusion. Would you agree? Absolutely. Beautifully said. And she got to peer beyond the veil and say, oh, I get it. But I was still stuck on this side of the veil and it freaked me out. And it wasn't okay with me that my daughter went beyond that that threshold and didn't come back (laughs) i I totally understand (laughs) i get that something magical and wonderful was happening for her but it sucked for me no i totally totally understand it that's as a mother myself that must have been just gut-wrenching and not knowing what to do and how to proceed and what would be best especially with the um you know, with the spiritual community around you that was even saying that she was channeling the Divine Mother, you know, that must have been so confusing for you to negotiate. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that there are people who read my book who judge the way I handled it. And uh, so far, I haven't gotten that feedback because people are more kind than cruel, but I'm sure it crossed people's minds. You know, because I do live in an alternative kind of zone. And and um, it's not it's not clear sometimes how to 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 negotiate as you say something like this. Yeah, no, and that's definitely uncharted waters for any parent, anyone actually, to be able to know what do we do next or how to proceed. So I, I want to backpedal a little bit back to the relationship that you had with your first husband because. I'll be honest with you, it brought up some old sexual wounds of my own. Mm. Um, You know, you were, what, 14, and you had this man who was 25 years your senior. And I felt in your writings that his advances were not necessarily 
really wanted. Mm-hmm. And I mean, am I confused about that? Oh, no, you're right. He was gross. Okay. So, <laughs> so for me, the first thing I, that screamed in my head was, oh, my God, she was molested. Yeah. Um, you know, I, at 13, lost my virginity to a 21-year-old man who molested me. And the, the way that it happens is that they make you believe that it's okay when it's not okay. And he had such a strong influence in your life, you know, um, being a teacher and, you know, you were living with his family for a while. I mean, how did you, I'm, I'm sure that when it happened, you didn't realize it was quote unquote, that you felt molested. I, I didn't at 13, even though I didn't like it, I didn't know it was actual molestation until I reached 52. Wow. It took me a while to like, at first I thought, wow, I just lost my virginity at 13 earlier than most girls. And then I realized, no, wait a minute. You were 13. He was 21. You were molested, hon. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't lose it. He took it. He took it. Robbed it. Exactly. So for you, before Jenny, the Jenny experience, had you been able, because I know you went on to marry a lovely, a lovely man who you're still married to today. But between that and get this new marriage, that your your current marriage, did you come to grips with that? I did, Sylvia. It took me a long time. You know, I was 32 when I finally left him. Uh, so I was 15 when we got together. And um, so that was, you know, more than half my life. And and I I was very angry for a few years when I realized how manipulated I had been and how how uh, robbed I was not only of of my precious sexuality but of my youth um, and so I processed that I did a lot of therapy I worked with uh, some Native American women who who did some shamanic work with me very intensely over the course of a year I did 12-step work in um, codependency so I did a lot of inner work because I couldn't bear the rage that was in me I knew I couldn't carry it so I got to work I got to work and I and I dealt with it um and so I would say that 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 really let go the the you know the teeth of that the bite of that experience over the years I finally sort of I guess what I came to with it was okay this is the human experience this is my version mirror by stars version of the human experience everybody has to deal with something and this is what I have to deal with and um it's just another chapter in a life it was a big chapter but it's it's done and as you saw in my book Sylvia I don't ever call it molestation or mm-hmm. rape or mm-hmm. sexual abuse I just kind of tell the story kind of tell what happened and it's up to the readers to come to their own conclusion but it's kind of obvious <laughs> and I also make fun of him which is one of the ways that I process the pain as I can laugh at him and I could laugh at myself. Well, let's talk a little bit more about how you process the pain. How does writing about our grief and loss create transformation? Well, you know, for me, it's, it is one of the most powerful transformational tools I know, writing and meditation. Those are the two keys for me to a transformation transformed life that is silent sitting when i say meditation i mean being still and showing up and turning inward um and also writing i guess from the time i can remember i kept a journal and a sketch pad i would also draw so writing and drawing were were 
really important for me as ways to kind of encounter myself and get to know what was arising and make sense of my life and and not only make sense of it in the in the way of like explaining it analytically that wasn't really it but being present to it and exploring it all with curiosity and creativity so i find that with my students it's it's a, an equally powerful tool writing it's like em forrester said how do i know what i think until i hear what i say mm. Storytelling is has always been in all cultures a powerful way to both convey um, the archetypal human experience and also really get to know ourselves. That is so beautiful. And what I have found in my own personal life is when I can tell the story, the truth, the story, it empowers me versus having the story be empowered. Mm, beautiful. So that is just lovely. I know that we're going to another break very soon, but I'm just curious. Do you believe that loss and struggle is necessary? Yup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was hoping you would say no. <laughs> okay, well, after the break, I'd love to address that in a more nuanced way. Yes and no. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, we'll return in just a few moments, everyone, and we will continue our conversation with Mirabai Star. Stay tuned. There is so much more to come still. Bringing a more conscious lifestyle to your world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Hello, I'm Miriam Knight of New Consciousness Review, inviting you to my new show where I interview the rising stars of the conscious awakening. We'll explore the many faces of consciousness and action and intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Rising Stars Show. Hello! Join us, Lisa Berry and Michelle Carter, every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for the Mindset Makeover, What's Possible? Get ready to become present, clear, and unstuck and start living fully, led by your heart. While you listen and feel this transformation through vibration of word, sound, and song, you'll open up to what's possible and experience your shift. The name is Bond. James Bond. No, the name is Joe. The Joe Show. And we are returning back for our ninth season here on Old Times Radio. So tune in every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, on oldtimes.com slash mobile. You can take us wherever you go. Yeah! Have you ever wondered how to change your love paradigm? The secret key is finding a love partnership, not just a regular connection. How do you find these? Through conscious relationships. Ascending Hearts Dating is a dating site for people like you that believes in second chances and a different type of spiritual connection. 
Try Ascending Hearts for free today at AscendingHearts.com and change your love paradigm. Ascending Hearts, the premier dating community for the spiritually awake. The future of Internet radio is here. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Welcome back, everyone. This is Sylvia Henderson with Mirabai Star. And before we went to the break, I had asked her, does she believe that loss and struggle is necessary? And without skipping a beat, she said yes. (laughs) And I would like for you to expand on that. But before we do that, can you let people know how they can get in contact with you and how they can find about your wonderful workshops? Oh, thank you for asking, Sylvia. Well, the best way to get to connect with me is through my website, which is just my name, mirabaistar.com. It's M-I-R-A-B-A-I-S-T-A-R-R. And there's a, a sign-up button for my newsletter and all, a list of all my events, including all these upcoming Writing Your Story of Loss and Transformation workshops. Beautiful. So let's go back to that question before we went to the break. I asked you if you believe that loss and struggle is necessary, but yet we look at some lives and we go, wow, their life looks so easy compared to mine. I've had two sons with autism. I had to place in a group home and other things happen in my life that I have gone through those deep areas, not as deep as you have, but deep for me. And so why do we need loss and struggle? Oh, honey, by the way, I did read about your your situation with your sons. That is so intense. We all, not all of us, some of us seem to have particularly challenging um, burdens to bear or experiences to, to deal with, and, and you definitely do too. Um, what, what is that? You know, the people that look like they're having an easy time probably, A, aren't, <laughs> and B, if they are are really not having to develop the compassion and and expansive hearts that people who do suffer deeply often are endowed with you know that those are the gifts i know we could we'd rather live without them if we could you know have our our dead children back for instance or whatever it might be like who cares about that i have greater compassion and a bigger heart now i want my baby back but these are the gifts that come from from deep suffering and and just so much spiritual growth seems to occur in the fire or on the other side of the fire perhaps just like in the in a forest fire the landscape is is imbued with with minerals that um, and nutrients so that new growth happens uh, in, in astounding ways in fire ecology, right? So there's something like that going on. Leonard Cohen's line, you know, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light mm-hmm. gets in. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you should ask that question today, uh, even though I see plenty of evidence for suffering, creating growth and beauty and great gifts, I also know that once we're on a a conscious path, Sylvia, in our lives, a path of spiritual practice, of of community, of of really turning inward and making a commitment to growth and to being of service, then we're able to actually consciously grow, and maybe we don't have to suffer in the same way 
the reason I'm saying it's so timely is just this morning I was saying to my beloved, to my husband, I feel something brewing in me. I feel a change coming and it feels like another annihilation has to happen. But I'd really rather God not (laughs) have to do it through trauma and tragedy. Like this time, can I do step into this one consciously through spiritual practice? I felt like I needed to go on retreat, really go on retreat, go into the desert in a, in a simple little shack or something for a month and just bring it on, you know, meditate till, till my, I don't know, till my eyeballs roll back in my head fast, whatever. I felt like the vision quest needs to happen that somehow I'm at a place in my life where my sense of self is becoming too firm again mm-hmm. and it needs to loosen its grip and I, and I'm ready, but, um, I don't want to have to, I mean, yes, it's going to hurt even to consciously engage in that process of stripping away that I feel is necessary right now but of course it's going to hurt but does it have to take trauma and tragedy no I don't I hope not because um, I'm willing I'm aware that that it's time for a new growth and um and I'd like to engage in that consciously and willingly it's really an it's really interesting to me that you talk about this need to undo this sense of self, so to speak. So um, what is it? Is it when we get too tied to who we think we are that I see. (laughs) (laughs) Or who we think the world thinks we are. You know, like I'm getting the last few years a lot of attention for my work. And I get a lot of invitations to speak and to teach. and, And then when people meet me, it's like, oh, you're a mirror by star. And I'm like, who? who do you think I am? Cause I, that's not who I think I am. I mean, I, not, not what I, what I think is the projection onto me. And that's why, like, that's starting to add up to me now, all the social media that I, that I have to do as a, as a result of my teaching and speaking and writing work, it all contributes to this fixed sense of, of identity, self. yeah. Yes, yeah. and so, I'm just not interested. So it really is this constant unraveling of the egoic conditioned self. And it Exactly, Sylvia. And it takes some active participation because I have seen so many spiritual teachers, you know, go, buy into the projections onto them and to that image um, and lose what was so beautiful and real about what they had to offer the world. So... I'm really, I guess, gun shy about about that process. Well, I think we all are <laughs> to yeah. a degree. So, yeah. what did, what advice do you have for someone listening to this show that is going through what they define as their dark night of the soul that will allow them to find more ease and grace in their experience? Mm, wonderful question, Sylvia. Well, you know my. My feeling is that if you're having a spiritual meltdown, melt. Go Mm -hmm. ahead and melt. In other words, be present with what's happening. If, If that dark night of the soul is descending, then the best thing, and the great mystics, and most especially the guy who coined that term, St. John of the Cross, the 16th century Spanish mystic, the, the teaching is when the dark night of the soul comes, our task is to surrender, to yield, to be present 
with what's happening and not try to either get away from it or push it away or over-spiritualize it. I love the term spiritual bypass because it so beautifully describes what many of us on a spiritual path have a tendency to do. It's like once we get some spiritual tools in our toolbox, we want to like engage the methods to not feel our feelings, to not to actually get away from those transformational experiences because they're painful and they're difficult. They may be painful in an invisible way, just that inner sense of dryness or emptiness that sometimes comes for a mature spiritual practitioner where the juice we used to feel in our spiritual lives that was so motivating for so long starts to dry up and go away and we think there's something wrong. But what what the great mystics are telling us is that actually we're being invited into a much deeper um, experience of the spiritual life that that is happening on a level that's invisible to our ordinary senses and intellect. And if we could just drop down into it, be present and pay attention to what's happening and become still and listen, then we were, we are available for that true transformation that's occurring, whether we like it or not. Wow. That is very advanced level an advanced level invitation to really dig deep beneath the surface. Um, and thankfully, we get to do it in layers. <laughs> and but, in between, we get all the juicy, beautiful stuff again, the chanting and the, med- the guided meditations and all of those beautiful tools and technologies that are designed to awaken consciousness and open the heart. In between the darkness and the emptiness and the not knowingness, we have those Yes, we do, which is really beautiful and fortunate. So um, we only have a few more minutes left in the show, but I'm curious, with your studies of the mystics and your own personal spiritual experiences and and the um, access that you have had to people who have been on the spiritual forefront for so long, what is your definition of God? <laughs> oh, that in, le- in the next... Yeah, like in six, could you you do it 60 (laughs) seconds? That would be great. (laughs) You know, on some days, Sylvia, I'm actually an agnostic because I just have such a hard time affirming um, or defining God as a personified being because then it boxes in the great mystery who doesn't fit in any boxes. And so I sort of alternate between an experience of God as this vast, formless mystery that is that is love, and that tr- but transforms all definitions. Mm-hmm. And then altern- alternately, I relate to God as my beloved, as my namesake, the great 16th century poet, ecstatic poet Mirabai, who was an East Indian uh, mystic related to to Krishna, was in love with Krishna, the god of love. And that devotional impulse is very much part of me. So I have both this um, non-dual inclination to experience God beyond all forms and to relate to God as my beloved for whom I passionately long. Wow. Well, that is, I think, a a lovely definition of God. Thank you so much for sharing, Mirabai. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I want to invite everyone listening to get her new book, Caravan of No Despair. Mirabai, thank you. 
Thank you, everyone. Until next week, when I return, know that you're loved. Take care and goodbye.